All right, now you can get, uh, you're in Luke chapter number 2, why don't we read the text for this evening, Luke chapter 2, we're going to actually go past the Christmas story, uh, or what we would normally read for the Christmas story, we'll be reading that on Christmas Sunday, but uh, look down in verse number 22, and we'll read down through verse number 29. He says, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the customs of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation. We have here this story, this text, and the Christmas story, which we'll be reading, and I'm sure referencing over the next couple of weeks, is an amazing story. Uh, after all, we know that Jesus is the reason for the season, Amen. that it's really about Jesus Christ and not how this world has commercialized it. I know we all love and enjoy this time of year. Certainly the young people do. The excitement uh, that the young people have over the stockings that are in the auditorium has been fun to see as they come in and, and pick their you know pick out theirs. Even the teenagers are getting into it, looking, oh, that one's mine. And one of the teens was turning his phone on record and sticking it down inside his stocking to see to see what was in the stocking, you know, trying to figure out what's in there. So the kids look forward to it with excitement, and we, of course, we look forward to occasions to get together with our friends, and many, many people look forward to getting together with family. Um, This season has taken on many different traditions. I'm sure your family has some tradition of some kind and things that you've developed. I was listening to the radio this week and heard uh, one lady talk about that for 40 years, her and her grandmother have got together before Christmas and baked cookies all day long. They bake all kinds of Christmas cookies and everything, and for her, she said, that's kind of the kickoff for Christmas. Like, it doesn't feel like Christmas until I've spent the day in the kitchen with Grandma baking cookies. And that's just a tradition they've done every year for 40 years and something that they look forward to. You know, for some, it might be the watching of old Christmas movies like Miracle on 34th Street or sitting down with family and watching The Christmas Carol, that story by Charles Dickens of, of Scrooge whose name has become uh, almost an adjective. Uh, you know, it's a, his name has begun to describe a type of spirit and an attitude that people might have. And sometimes in the line at the grocery store, you feel like saying, okay, Scrooge, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, don't you have any Christmas cheer? And, and what's going on? Like, why, why are you so uh, upset? Or has it been a long day? You know, you see people that kind of have that spirit. But, uh, you know, this... Scrooge was a miserly old man. He could not be bothered with the spirit of Christmas. Uh, the gathering of wealth was far too important to him, and, uh, but he was visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, which showed him that there was a Christmas in bygone days that was very precious to him. 
showed him the memories that he had of special times with family and then it kind of showed and de- depicted for him how his love for gain allowed him to crowd out his love for Bell. That gain became more valuable and ultimately he lost her and she ended up marrying somebody else and having a happy uh, life and here he was miserly and alone. Then you have the ghost of the Christmas present. It shows Scrooge in pain uh, you know, as it shows all of the pain that he caused. Uh, because of his miserly ways and because of his greed and it takes him through the Christmas present and shows him how uh, he's hurting all these different people and ultimately that even uh, Tiny Tim is not going to receive the medicine that he needs and such a sweet and kind boy with a great spirit and yet, uh, you know, he prayed and even, you know, God bless Scrooge, you know, and uh, God bless us everyone. Then you have the ghost of Christmas yet to come where it takes him into the future and shows him his own lonely death and how everybody was glad to see him go. How people were thrilled that, oh, Scrooge is out of the way and he's finally gone. He's not going to cause any more pain for anybody. And to make matters worse, he is reminded or, or he's seen the picture of that actually Tiny Tim did die because he didn't get the medicine that Scrooge could have easily provided, but he didn't. And you know the story. Scrooge wakes up, and he realizes it's still Christmas morning, that Christmas hasn't passed, that he still has an opportunity to do something about it. And he wakes up, and he, 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 the, the excitement of Christmas is upon him, and, and it's contagious, and he, he runs out in the street, and he's wishing everybody Merry Christmas, and he's, he's giving gifts and, and showing up with large gifts for different families, and, and, and that kind of a spirit is coming through. Well, beloved, we don't have to be visited by a ghost to take a look at our actions and to live in such a way that when Christmas has passed we can rejoice instead of regret. I'd like to speak to you for a couple of minutes tonight on the idea of how to feel good when the glitter is gone. How to feel good when the glitter is gone. And this is very, very important because many people live through the Christmas season and they kind of throw caution to the wind. They kind of uh, let everything go. And hey, this is after all, it's vacation. After all, it's Christmas. After all, it's... And we have all of these excuses, but uh, <laughs> I can't even give you all of the different types of stories and examples and illustrations that I read about the regrets that people have when Christmas is over. So we want to live so that we don't have regrets, but that we feel good when the glitter's gone. First of all, what you want to do is have a consistency in your walk. Be consistent in your walk. In verse number 25, he says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was a just and devout man. He was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was devout, dedicated, spiritual. Uh, in Strong's, it says uh, the idea of, of true piety, the idea of true spirituality. He was a devout man. He continued in the Word. How well do you know the book? This man knew the book. He was in the Word of God and would spend time in the Word of God. Let me encourage you 
instead of taking Christmas to let your hair down and let everything go, do something extra for God. Go a little bit above and beyond. Don't let your devotion slip during the Christmas season. I told the young people uh, at college, and they're going to get it again because they're here, but I told them at college uh, last week when I was preaching in chapel, and it was just a few days until uh, Christmas, and I, I said, listen, Christmas break is not the time to, to stop walking with God. It's, a, it's amazing how a college student can be in college, he's in Bible college, and he can go to all of his classes, and he has all of his ministries, and he has all of his on-campus responsibilities, and he has his full-time job, and, and he has all of those things that he does, and yet he still walks with God. But then he comes home for Christmas, and for three weeks he doesn't have devotions. For three weeks he can't find time to get into the book. For three weeks, somehow he's too busy to, to walk with the Lord, and, and college students aren't the only ones. Amen. It's Amen. all of us. Uh, the Christmas season does get busy, but okay, now we're on break, and why is it we let our time with God go? Continue in the work. Yes, we're on break, and we've got time off, and we all need to rest and relax. We all need to take a break, and, uh, but you know as well as I do, that when Christmas is all said and done, you guys tell me, how many times have you come home for Christmas break? And in your heart and mind, you had a project that was needed to work on for school, had a book you were supposed to read for school, had something you were wanting to accomplish for school. And in your heart and mind, when you came home, you thought, hey, during Christmas break, when I have all this extra free time, I'm going to read this book. And then you go back to school and the book hasn't been read yet. And now you've got to read it on top of all your other classes, on top of all your other responsibilities. And in your mind, you, you think, why did I waste all of my break? How do I know you do that? Because many years ago, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I did that. I crammed four years into five, and I think it was five Christmases in a row that I did that. <laughs> So don't follow by my example. Do, do right. Don't do what I did. You know, but the idea, we're just like, oh, it's Christmas break. I'm just going to relax. And what I'm saying is how to feel good when the glitter's gone is to get something done. You know, when Christmas is over, you'll look back and you'll be, man, I'm so glad I accomplished that. I'm glad I got that job done. Yeah, I took my break and, and I got that project in the garage done or I got that thing cleaned up or I finished that book I've been wanting to read or I accomplished this. And you'll be glad for things accomplished instead of just a number of days wasted. Right? Yeah. So do, do, do some work. And hey, enjoy rest. Enjoy relaxing. Sleep in a little bit. But get something done. Continue to witness. We see here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Not only was he devout and, and just, but he was looking for the coming Messiah. One Jewish writer says that this would have been a common sentiment of that day for any devout believer. For they truly felt that the advent of the Messiah was not long off. And I wonder for you and I, we look at the signs of the times and we say, man, his second coming, the rapture of the church, it can't be that far off. It, it, it's right around, it's got to be right around the corner. We've got to be looking for that. But if, if we're really looking for that and we believe that it's right around the corner, then 
My, we need to seize the opportunities that are available to us to witness. I mean, what a privilege to be able to... to people are so receptive during the Christmas season. Even if they're not what we would call religious, or even if they're not normally uh, have a charitable spirit, during Christmas it kind of brings it out. I'll tell you what, if, if Christmas doesn't do anything else, at least it does that. For a little few weeks we can have the spirit of, of, of charitableness uh, amongst people. You know, seize those opportunities to be a witness. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And we see that in this story. Simeon looking for the coming Messiah. And he went into the temple, it says, and he lifted him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He is looking for it. And, and desire cometh, it's a tree of life. He saw that desire fulfilled. And what a privilege to, to be a witness during this season. Don't let the opportunities slip you by. We know that Jesus came and he said, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. God, somebody said God the father only had one son and he made him a missionary. And we need to be reaching this lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God the father sent the son to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, as my Father has sent me, so send out you. So we have a commission from Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. Use the opportunities. He was the consolation of Israel, and he can be the consolation of your soul. The consolation means to come near to comfort. And that's what Jesus does. He is the Prince of Peace. And anybody we can share him with, he'll bring peace to their life. So we see, first of all tonight, that he was consistent in his walk. If we're going to be glad or feel good when the glitter's gone, then we need to be consistent in our walk. Secondly, we need to be controlled by the Spirit. We see in verse 25 and 26, the, the last phrase in 25, we see he was just about waiting in the consolation of Israel. And it says, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And in verse 26, it says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he hath seen the Lord's Christ. And then a little bit further down, in verse number 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit of God led him and said, Hey, the Son is here. The Son of God, the consolation of Israel, the one you've been waiting on is here. The Holy Spirit led him. And if we are going to uh, be glad or feel good when the glitter's gone, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit through the Christmas season. It has to be something that the Spirit's doing in our lives. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Let Him direct your steps. Don't quench the Holy Spirit in your life especially during the Christmas season. Do you know sin quenches the Spirit? When we do that which is displeasing to God, you quench the Spirit, His ability to speak to your heart, His ability to direct you. I had somebody ask me just recently about my salvation experience. and 
I told him about how I had grown up in a Christian home and had been in church my whole life and that uh, I made a profession of faith as a young man and then went to Bible college. And I really wasn't dealing with doubt. I didn't even really have a question concerning my salvation in my heart and mind, but I was dealing with some spiritual battles and really struggling for victory in my life. And I sat down with an evangelist and was talking to him about what I was going through. And after about 30 minutes, he looked at me and he says, Caleb, maybe what you need is to get saved. And I acquiesced at that point and I said, you know what, you might be right. I, I don't know that I've ever had the Spirit working in my life. And I bowed my head that day and trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I tell people that is when I trusted Christ because that is when I began to experience the working of the Holy Spirit in my life. God began to do something in my heart and life. There was a noticeable change. When I was younger, of course, I never wanted to get caught for doing wrong. But I didn't have the Holy Spirit's conviction for doing wrong. There's a difference between just not wanting to get caught and having the Holy Spirit's conviction, that's what I began to experience. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And that's what I began to experience, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. What I want to say to you tonight is if God, if the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life, one of two things has happened. Either first of all, you are not a child of God and the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in your heart and He's not there. And that can be remedied very easily by trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or you have so grieved the Holy Spirit that you have quenched His fire, that you've put out any ability He would have had to try and direct you, to try and lead you in your life. I believe if you and I are following the Spirit of God, we will not participate in activities that displease God. You see, beloved, the Holy Spirit will not let you participate in sin. Either you will stop the sin, or you will silence the Spirit. One or the other is going to happen. That's the fact. And you've heard people say, this, this Bible will keep you from sin, or the sin will keep you from this Bible. Well, that's very applicable to the Holy Spirit as well because either you are going to silence the Spirit because you don't like that prodding in your heart. You don't like that conviction. You want to continue in your sin and so you'll stop the Holy Spirit. You'll silence His work in your heart. And then you can continue to sin and do what you want and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, and He'll let you do that. But if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, then we are going to change what we're doing or we're not going to participate in things that are wrong. You know, the work Christmas party. Only work Christmas party I was ever invited to is when I was 16 years old. I was working at Walmart, and uh, they invited me to the work Christmas party. Well, I had enough common sense to know that that's not where I needed to be, and I didn't go. So I never experienced a work Christmas party, okay? Uh, but I know from uh, stories from other people and from my study this last week uh, that there is a lot of things that happen at work Christmas parties that people regret. That people really regret. 
35% of people regret what they did at their work Christmas party this last year. 45% said they have done something that was inappropriate or immoral due to drinking at a work Christmas party. 34% of people that attended a work Christmas party in 2021 missed work because they were hung over the next day. 26% said they don't even remember what they did at their work Christmas party. So we look at that, and I know we're talking about church group right here. We're like, oh, pastor, that didn't hit any of us. We don't have that problem. Okay, so that we're okay. Nobody, nobody stepped on my toes right there. But let me bring it a little closer to home. Um, there's things that you wouldn't do or wouldn't participate in or don't want your kids around that for some reason, when it's family, we say it's okay. Um, we would never allow our kids to be around somebody talking this way or drinking this product or doing this, but we say, oh, it's family. And so we let things go that we wouldn't normally let go. We just say, well, it's family. Well, what does family have to do with right and wrong? If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And what are we teaching our children that, oh, it's okay if it's uncle, uncle, I won't, I'm not going to use a name because I don't want to <laughs> disparage somebody's uncle or, or anybody in here. You know, I mean, oh, it's okay if it's, you know, grandma or grandpa, you know, oh, well, you know, I mean, we've got to be very careful about that. And uh, what we allow to creep in uh, during the Christmas season because we happen to be with family. Oh, we would normally go to church, but we're not going to go to church because grandma's here and so on. So I'm saying if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to do what's right regardless of who's present, right? All right, if you're led by the Spirit, I believe that you will be in control of your spirit. Now that's getting close to home. You need to be careful what you say at Christmas. You get family together and it's just the nature of the beast because your brothers know how to poke you. (laughs) They know how to stir up the nest. I mean, they know what to do to get your goat. And, and brothers and sisters or, or extended relatives or whatever, you spend that many days together. And, of course, mom has the way that she cooks the turkey, and you have the way you cook the turkey. And mom's comment about you never do it right, and you always burn these or whatever, and that grates on you, and you're like, you're in my kitchen anyway. <laughs> and now there's, we're supposed to sit down in a few minutes and have a loving, peaceful, compassionate Christmas dinner, and everybody's been screaming. Okay, what I'm saying is if you're controlled by the Spirit, you'll be in control of your spirit. And how to be glad when the glitter is gone is controlling your spirit. So maybe somebody else loses, they're cool with you. I can guarantee you when Christmas is all said and done, you'll be thankful you didn't respond in kind. You'll be thankful that you kept your cool and that you... A soft answer turneth away wrath. And it's hard to do. But when we're controlled by the Spirit, it's possible to do. It's possible to do. There's some things that you need to say which might not be comfortable to say. 
one soldier in Desert Storm, left home without telling his grandfather goodbye or saying, I love you. He had in his heart and mind he would see him again. Wasn't that old. But while he was stationed in Desert Storm, his grandfather passed away. And because of his assignment, he couldn't get free to come home for the funeral. He never saw his granddad again, and now he has a habit of his life. He will not leave the house without saying, Grandma, I love you. Goodbye, I want you to know I love you. And he might see her later that day, but he's established that pattern in his life because he doesn't know when the last opportunity is going to be. And what I'm saying is you might have something that you need to say, but it's been so long since you've said it. It's been so hard since you've expressed it that it might be uncomfortable, but you, you know, you're not sure how they're going to receive it. You're not sure how well they're going to like it. I, I don't know, but maybe some needs to be said that with the Spirit of God, you can, you can say it. But I encourage you to pri- prioritize your activities during Christmas. There's lots of things that are going to take your time, but who is it that you really want to spend your time with? What do you want to accomplish? What's going to be worthwhile later? I believe if you're being led by the Spirit, you'll also not waste money you don't have to provide gifts for people who don't appreciate them. A mother of five writes, If I have any regrets, it's a regret of how much stuff I have given my own children. I have been repaid with attitudes that make me cringe. The key here, she goes on, she says, the key here is I had given them exactly what they asked for. There was no element of surprise. There was no mystery. There was a bunch of stuff there that they wanted and they got it. It has developed in them a sense of entitlement. They got this and they got that because they got all they asked for it and I've come to not like it, not one bit. Let me encourage you, parents, it's not about how much is under the tree. Not about how many presents are there. You know, you might, I'm not telling you what to do, you can do whatever you want, but possibly you might think about, hey, we're going to limit the presents you get to three. That's how many presents Jesus got. And you could use it as a teaching tool. You can build excitement. Kids who get excited over an empty box, (laughs) okay? It doesn't have to be a PlayStation for them to get excited. What I'm saying is it's, you tell me what Christmas experience do you remember most? Most of the time, it is an experience. Most of the time, it's something that you did with mom and dad. Or maybe they gave you something, but they gave you a football and you went out into the yard and you played for the rest of the afternoon football. I don't know what it was, but most of the time it's not the toy. You receive many, many toys you can't even remember that you got them. I don't, of course, you guys know my memory, so you're like, that's not shocking, but I don't remember very many toys that I got for Christmas. But I remember the time spent with mom and dad. You don't have to overspend. You talk about regret. 
One individual said, capitalism demands that I overspend for Christmas. And that's the case. Capitalism pushes us to do that. This, this, this want to society and, and all that's out there and all of the, you got to keep up with the Joneses and these kids come home with their want list and everybody gets this prize and I didn't get that. And, and so we got to get them all of these things and they got to have so much stuff. Holiday spending grew by 141% in 2021 and it is expected to set a new record of over $900 billion to $1.3 trillion this year. What's shocking is in the face of record inflation, in the face of uh, record unemployment, we are going to see an increase in the money spent for Christmas. Do you know why? Because people have a lack of self-control and they're looking at, well, life is so bad, I owe it to myself to have a good Christmas. And so they're going to go out and put on credit cards, spend money they don't have to try and have a good Christmas. And just, just like a drunk who, who hides and puts reality out of his mind for a little while, they'll go out and spend a bunch of money they don't have and hide reality for a little bit, but come January, the bills start coming due. It's amazing. In 2021, the average consumer spent $1,500 on gifts with an average of $267 per child. 41% of Americans will take on debt to have Christmas this year. That's their number. I would believe it's higher than that. Just knowing people's personalities and the spirit and the way people use credit today, it's mind-boggling. But you talk about getting to the end of Christmas and having regret. When you get to July and you're still making payments on Christmas, it takes some discipline. It's not about how many presents are under the tree. This is in stark contrast to the spirit of 1969 when grocery stores were just starting to let people charge for their food. I was shocked when I read that. There are some of you in here remember when you could not charge for food. <laughs> you remember those days. I, I don't remember those days. I'm too young. Actually, I wasn't even born in 1969. <laughs> but you remember those times when you couldn't charge for food. They didn't take it to the grocery store. One lady, a news reporter... Upon hearing that these grocery stores would take credit cards, they went to the, this was newsworthy. They went to the store and caught people on their way out and asked, "Did you charge your groceries at the store today? What do you think of this?" And one lady said, "Never. That would be like paying for a dead horse, paying for something that is already used up." One patron said, "To use credit to buy groceries." would be immoral. See, that's the mindset of 1969. Where today, people use credit for everything. Now, if you manage your finances well, that's fine. I mean, you can use credit and gain, gain the benefits of uh, you know, points and, and percentages back and, and, and all of that. But the problem is most people can't do that. And they <clears throat> end up putting themselves in a hole. 
Brother Nash told me, gave me liberty to use his story. And uh, over the years, he ended up with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on credit cards. He was making payments on one card of over $500 a month, and that was just paying the interest on that card. He just had another need and went and put it on a card, went and put it on a card. Ultimately, the only way out of it is when he was late 70s, early 80s. I mean, I don't know exactly where he was at, but he had to sell his house to pay off his credit cards. And so here he is, 80 years old, sold his house, paid off his credit cards, and has nothing left. It can happen to anybody. But he told me, he says, use the story, tell people. Starts with one charge at a time. You just think, oh, it's not that much. And then you get behind, and it just gets worse and worse and worse, and then you just can't get out. It's a trap. I would encourage you. You want to feel good when the glitter's gone? Don't spend money you don't have. Just use some discipline. Then continue in worship. We see in verse number 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. He continued in worship. He went into the temple. It's not easy at this time of year in the face of all the activity and fun to keep a worshipful mindset. It becomes about what we're experiencing instead of about, you know, we. it's not enough to just say Jesus is the reason for the season. It, it takes the, the, the heart and mind, it takes the spirit of, of, of keeping that worshipful mindset, that focus. Otherwise, it's, it's Jingle Bells and Rudolph. But that's not what Christmas is about. No. Somebody said, I, I saw a, a meme today or whatever, it said uh, that to cancel church to celebrate Christmas would be like sending your wife away to celebrate your anniversary. I mean, it doesn't make sense. C.S. Lewis said this. There is a stage in a child's life when at which it cannot separate the religious from the mere festival of Christmas or even Easter. I have been told of a very small and very devout boy who has heard murmuring to himself on Easter morning a poem of his own composition which began, chocolate eggs, and Jesus is risen. This seems to me, for his age, both admirable and poetic. Both admirable and pious. But of course, the time will soon come in the child's life when he can no longer effortlessly and spontaneously enjoy that unity. He will be able to distinguish the spiritual from the ritual, from the festival, from the aspect of Easter, which is what it's truly about, and that of chocolate eggs, will no longer seem so sacramental. And once he has distinguished this, he must put one or the other first. See, when they're very, very young, it's, that's what Easter is. It's, it's chocolate eggs and, and, and Christ's resurrection. But as they begin to grow, when maturity begins to be evidenced in their life, they begin to realize that, well, the eggs 
are not spiritual. But the resurrection is the celebration. And, and at Christmas, candy canes and presents and, and cake and all these things are not what's spiritual. But Christ's resurrection is. And at some point, they have to decide what's going to be first. And you and I have to decide that. What are we going to lift up? What are we going to put first during this Christmas season? If he puts spirituality first, he can still taste something of those chocolate eggs. But if he puts the eggs first, they will soon be no more than any other sweet meat. They will have taken on an independence and therefore will soon wither away. He's describing and saying that in Christ we can enjoy and rejoice in all the things that God brings us. But if we put the emphasis on the world or the flesh or these things that are less spiritual, they become mundane and normal and outside of Christ and don't have any fulfillment anyway. So we've got to continue to worship. We've got to guard against losing sight of the true meaning of Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? Is it materialism? On television, one interviewer was walking the streets of Tokyo where Christmas has become as successful as it is in America. Christmas shopping is a big commercial event in Japan. And the interviewer stopped one young woman on the sidewalk and asked, What is the meaning of Christmas? Laughing, she responded and says, I don't know. Is that when Jesus died? That's where the world's come to. But I wonder how many Christians are there. We've got to continue to worship, to have a spirit of worship, to realize how important it is. You want to be glad when Christmas is gone, have that spirit of worship. Don't forget, it's about Jesus. We need to teach it to our kids. Teach them it's not just about them. One way to do that is teach them to give. Give to others. You know... I thought about this idea. I know the kids are really excited about their stocking. That's up front there, right? But an idea for you parents is to take your kids, take them to the store and say, okay, you're going to buy something for somebody else's stocking. And then have them pick out one or two or three things and then have them come in and stick it in somebody else's stocking. And you know what? On Christmas morning they will be as excited about seeing their friends get their stocking as they're about getting their own. That's right. Just seizing the opportunities to teach the children about, about giving and giving to others, that it's not about them. Teaching appreciation. How about letting the worship of our Lord bring us to the place where we're doing our part of spreading peace on earth and goodwill towards men. We truly don't need the ghost of Christmas to come and visit to keep us from regrets after Christmas is over. Right. It's just a little over a week away. It's going to be come and gone, but I would encourage you to do it right, to keep a right spirit. You want to rejoice when Christmas is done. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for the new year to start. We've all been there. We've all thought, well, it's Christmas, I'm going to just forget it for a couple of weeks. You know, you guys, you guys know I've been trying to lose weight. And uh, 
I was really proud of myself during Thanksgiving that I did not gain any weight. <laughs> now, I didn't lose any during Thanksgiving, but I didn't gain any. And to me, that was an exercise in discipline. I had to be careful what I ate, you know, didn't, and that's what I'm saying, you know, a lot of times we'll, with different goals or ambitions in our lives, this is a very physical, practical one, uh, but we look at it and we say, well, it's Christmas, just forget it, it's just two weeks, I ain't going to worry about it, I'll just do whatever I want for two weeks, and I know I shouldn't be eating all this pie and cake and ice cream or whatever, but you know what, come January, I'll hit the treadmill. Yeah, we've all been there. Right. Why not just exercise some discipline right now instead of having three pieces of coconut cream pie just have a half a piece yeah it's hard it's hard but uh you'll be happy when you make it through and you've done and you've done right so how to be glad when the glitter's gone